This is exactly right. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. clear when you're a guest in my home you gotta come to me empty-handed I said no gifts your presence is present enough and I already had too much stuff so how do you dare disobey Welcome to I Said No Gifts. I'm, of course, Bridger Weiniger, and I hope you're having a nice day. I, I hope that, you know, you didn't wake up this morning and have breakfast, and then your partner indicated that they heard some water running, and you ignored them, and then they took a shower and said, you know, the water pressure is very low, and then you finally investigated only to find a pipe had been broken in the backyard and had been running continuously for over eight hours. I, and even if that happened, that's fine. You know, uh, everything's eventually going to be fine and uh, a little drying, a little here and there, everything will be okay. And, you know, in the meantime, you can be listening to this podcast episode because I'm very excited, so happy to have our guest here today. The one and only Tim Baltz. Tim, welcome to I Said No Gifts. Thank you for having me. I am so happy to see you. Uh, you know, it's been an interesting day. I hope so. That's not hypothetical. That happened. <laughs> that uh, that is happened and is currently sort of happening to me because you know there was the panic and there was the running around the yard and. Uh, and then the turning off the water. So I haven't showered. Uh, you know, we're, it's 1 p.m. I'm filthy. And, <laughs> but the water is at least shut off and we're waiting for the person to come and look at it. And, uh, you know, I don't know. Have you ever dealt with this sort of water situation? What, uh, I've had definitely low pressure. Um, but not being a homeowner, usually I'll, you know, I, I just kind of, wait it out. Sure. I've never had any kind of um, pressure about my water pressure. Right. You just want to qualify and say, I I hope you're not trying to shower by 1 p.m. or before podcast recordings. Oh, oh, trust me. I don't care that there's a pandemic going on. I am ready to go by at least 11 a.m. every day. Whatever it takes to maintain sanity, I've gone the opposite direction. Are you just, I mean, is it like showering every three weeks? What's the situation? No, I think usually it's just I try to get things done. I think I look at the day as like everything that I do today is, uh, you know, staving off panic and it's going to make me dirty. So by 5 or 6 p.m., I'm like, now, now's the time. Yeah. I, I, 
I prefer to refresh myself before I go to bed now, which is the opposite of my pre-pandemic routine. Oh, interesting. And wait, so the shower's happening around five or six or right before bed? Uh, five or six. Okay. Usually. And I mean, maybe you go to bed at 630. So, you know, uh, that's an interesting time, a, a late afternoon shower. I'd never been like that. I'd always been, you know, first thing, uh, first thing in the morning, but now I don't have anything to do to prepare for. So right. The only big event is really, and the thing that my fiance and I talk about all day long is dinner. <laughs> so I'd rather get prepared for dinner. And then there was about a month or two where it was like, you're showering right as dinner is starting right. before you're not with dinner. So that took about a month to course correct on that. And when is she still getting ready in the morning? Um, I, I, she, I, she probably responds to the day a bit better than I do. Okay. I, I tend to, you know, dive into whatever the, uh, the controversies of the day are online <laughs> and uh, let that current take me where it, where it must. So what is like a regular day right now for you? Regular day is I wake up, um, I, I usually kind of like get caught up on the news. Uh, I touch base with family, um, maybe a few friends. We trade some jokes or bits. Sure. Uh, <laughs> honestly, I'm laughing right now because I'm, I'm a bit stumped. I mean, work on project. I think we're at like 930. You've just described everyone's up until 930. So. 930. This could drag on until about 11. Okay. I, I usually eat. Um, there's a walk. There's working out. Right. There's lunch. You know, there's there's another coffee. There There's right. things like it's a typical day checking things, making sure that projects are due and and everything's taken care of. And I've corresponded with everyone. But then there's also just the general kind of, I, I don't know, looking around at the world and wondering can I be doing anything else right sure. now? Sure. Between like 1 and 4 p.m., that's where I start to feel guilty about not doing more to improve something because I'm also not improving any of my my personal situation. So I'm just like, why? what can I do with this time? But then we get to about 3.45, I'm out of energy, and I have, again, not written a letter to voters. So it's, um, you know, I'm I'm doing everything I can or at least thinking about doing everything I can. Have you, do you feel like you've been able to be productive, like percentage wise, how has your productivity, productivity been in pandemic versus pre-pandemic? Oh, that's an interesting question. So for the first, the pandemic, uh, for the first three months, I had a job. I was writing on a show. And so that took up most of my day. And so, uh, transitioning from, you know, uh, early March until, May, the pandemic didn't, I mean, of course, other outside of everything being absolutely horrible and terrifying at all times, my days were pretty normal. I had to wake up and get ready and sit in front of a computer and uh, contribute to uh, a job. And so by the time that we got around to May, I think everyone had adjusted to it, but I had not. Suddenly I was thrown in the deep end and I felt like everybody else was like, oh, I know what to do with my days. And so there was probably six weeks at least six weeks where I was just absolutely paralyzed. I did not do anything with my days. Um, and then I finally adjusted and became productive enough. I started working on a little project, started doing little things here and there. Uh, but percentage-wise, let's say a cool 15% compared to normal, <laughs> I would say. 
<laughs> I, I, I really admire that honesty. That, <laughs> that's both like admirable and devastating at the same time. Honesty I, is all we have right now. It really is. I had the same six weeks of kind of just sitting in a stupor and paralysis. Luckily, we had a project that we were kind of developing. So we got to touch base with that a few times. And and then that kind of became the backdrop of productivity. Right. And I weigh at other things. And and then I just started counting other things as productivity, like setting up Zoom calls and being <laughs> like, you know, what's this week's cocktail for this friend? <laughs> and it was surprise. It was always a Paloma. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I'd say 15% was was pretty fair for a long time, definitely the first few months until I started to kind of um, allow myself, uh, I, I'd remove some guilt. I was raised Catholic, so guilt. Is, right, you know, of course. It's practically a workout for me. <laughs> do you know what? I mean, we do hear a lot about Catholics feeling guilt, but I truly feel, if you're raised in a, at least a Christian religion, I feel like, we, I, how have Catholics cornered the market on guilt? I'm feeling enormous amounts of guilt at all times. And what were you raised? Uh, Mormon. Ah, okay. So is, well, yeah, I, I don't know a ton about the Mormon religion, but I assume that there is some guilt and shame. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, nonstop. So I, but I mean, uh, congratulations, Catholics. You've got, you've, uh, monopolized guilt. It's the brand and the rest of us are feeling guilty and can't really speak to it. We got out there early. We <laughs> certainly did on message for guilt and shame. Uh, <laughs> but I definitely, it, you know, it's a way to count calories for me where if I'm with guilt and shame. I'm like, Oh, I, I feel too guilty. I shouldn't eat breakfast today. Uh, <laughs> But I, I, I think once I got over those waves in the pandemic, I started to, uh, to work a little bit more. I started to indulge. Right. I think what's, what's odd as comedians um, is that there's a certain amount of, you know, silliness and play that you have to access in order to really get things done and in order to get to deeper and deeper levels that help unlock, you know, what you think your particular voice is. Right. And when you feel a certain amount of guilt or collective grief because of everything that's happening, mm -hmm it's naturally hard to access that. And, and then when you do access it, it feels so foreign. And then you have these, like this funhouse mirror of, no, I shouldn't be feeling this right now. Uh, wait, I'm feeling this, but I'm rusty at it. Oh, I don't right. know what to do. And then it disappears and you're left staring at just one mirror of yourself. And you're like, well, this is quite sad. Yeah, yes, absolutely. No, I had that, that guilt is so built into that when you're like, Oh, I feel like being funny right now, but Truly, nothing else in the world calls for being funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then I'll I'll allow myself like a couple you know funny tweets a week or something like that, or like oh yeah I'll, I'll tweet something that's kind of not reflecting on all the gloom and doom, and then one person will be like I don't like this. Like, <laughs> yeah, this person's right. This one person. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, yeah, I Twitter has just become such a bizarre thing to exist on because on one level you're like i want to enjoy what i'm looking at here but i also if anyone's listening to me i want to scream do something try to help i mean and then of course it's just like it's any call for action on twitter just feels meaningless it all just feels uh, i mean everything's fine everything <laughs> we're gonna get through this but it's terrible
I hope that you're not deterred on Twitter. You're truly one of my favorite follows on Twitter. Oh, that's so sweet. Well, I'm deeply, deeply deterred. And it's, uh, I'm, I'm <laughs> trying to escape. I'm trying to get out of this trap. I finally, you know, I think it's a little, maybe it's a little bad or try to compare social media to being addicted to cigarettes. But I truly at this point now understand the mindset of someone who still smokes where it's like, yes, I know it's bad for me. Of course. But that doesn't mean I can stop doing it. It feels it's just an absolute trap. Uh, but oh, I, I don't know. How do you I get can, rid of it? I, I, I'm not really sure. And I also think that that mindset is something that's like, yes, I yes, I understand the risks. Like I'm, I'm half French. My mom is French. So smoking has always been I've never been able to smoke. I just cough too much. Right. But I've known a lot of French people that are just like, but why would I stop? <laughs> this pleasure like this, this like the risks that you're speaking of won't deter me from this simple pleasure. Right. Plus look at how elegant and cool I look. When I'm <laughs> oh, yeah, actually you get to read that multiple times a day. And everyone's <laughs> like, what a gorgeous move. <laughs> Wait. And so does your mom still smoke? Oh no, she never smoked. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I've, I've known like, you know, family members and, and friends over there that, that still smoke, you know? Oh, wow. Um, and they, it's, it, there isn't this source of, well, again, shame. Um, I think Americans always feel like, you know, we have to do everything bigger and better and stronger and faster. And so there's, and for good reason, like this big ad campaign that kind of helped change our minds about it and laws that took them out of restaurants and, and I think in France, it was just like, yes, well, of course, it is not good for you. But, you know, it is still like a beautiful individual act that you mm -hmm. can part in, in these other places. And we shouldn't yell about these things. We should just all collectively understand this, <laughs> which is a different understanding. Like, it's going to kill you, man. And it's like, <laughs> I don't care. You're trying to suppress me. Um, yeah, I think the difference between uh, Twitter and cigarettes is that at least cigarettes make you look cool <laughs> twitter does not make anybody look cool it makes us all just look kind of pathetic so maybe that's the edge yeah that's true yeah i've never i've never quite attached to twitter i've never the the gears have never clicked for me how long have twitter. you been on this nightmare i guess since 2012 maybe okay. late 2012 early 2013 um and I, I would see people on it that would both do well and not do well. And it kind of threw the sense of reality that I had in my head off a little bit. Right. Um, I, I, I think with any medium, there's always a realignment of what your reality in person is. Yes. And sometimes that, medium really clicks with you like I, one of my majors in college was communication so you're always talking about like the the temperature of a medium is it hot is it cool how does it like how does it affect the information being conveyed from the creator of the information to the receiver of the mm -hmm. information and there were certain you know mediums that like oh it just clicks like i i get it and with twitter it was always like a little off the gears are always kind of stripping with me right um, and I don't know why I check it. I, I should yeah, I'm wondering what you're getting out of this night. I mean, what? why are you still on it? Get off. Yeah, people say news, but I'm like, it doesn't, It like you said, it just reinforces what I already kind of believe. Right. 
you know, I'm not going to read something and be like, you know what, small government, high debt, no moral values while preaching family values is actually the way to go. <laughs> I would love for you to fall into that trap. <laughs> Did you hear about Tim? He was on Twitter and... Uh... <laughs> Um, yeah, I, it's an interesting, and it, as a news source also, the fact that I'm getting the large majority of my news from comedians is probably not good either. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't even laugh at it. I don't, I'm rarely looking through Twitter and laughing. So I, I don't know. It's just like a nervous tick at this point. Yeah. What do your laughs look like when you're online? Is it like, what counts as a ha ha ha? <laughs> What noises do you make? I, it, <laughs> I think it's a stone face. Maybe, maybe I blink. Uh, I, I would say that I laugh at something I see on the internet. Maybe every four months. <laughs> wow. Um, the rest yeah. of the time, I mean, and it has to truly be something spectacular. I mean, also a lot, I feel like all of my nerves are fried and I mean, it takes a lot to make me laugh at anything. So I don't know. I mean, what, what makes you laugh right now? What are you enjoying? That's actually funny. Um, I think when a, f a friend either surprises me or, or says something to me that distills who who I, who my, what my experience of them has always been to its core. Oh, interesting. I'm texting with someone recently. I think uh, now that I'm thinking about it, this is kind of the only place where I'm getting like hearty laughs because I'm not seeing anyone in person. Um, obviously any kind of zoom, the, the, the cap on the bottle of laughs just like explodes off. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, interaction. Humans. <laughs> um, but I, I genuinely used to have a lot of that inside me pre-pandemic, and, and I enjoyed being social despite the fact I'm probably like an introvert, extrovert. Uh, but I think if I'm texting with someone and they really surprise me, I, I definitely enjoy that. But if they say something that is so on brand for them, I'll laugh just because I'm like, ah, well, this person's not dead yet. <laughs> Their essence still exists and yeah. is pure yeah. and... Yeah, I think that will do it for me. And also the reverse, if somebody uh, like points out something about me that like I don't think other people even realize if they're able to get to my core and uh, basically make fun of me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like to be, you know, criticized or badgered about my personal failings. Uh, there's something about that that's very can be like make me feel like I'm being tickled or something. Uh but otherwise, uh, you know, uh, I guess there's not a lot of uh, funny things going on. I'll listen oh, to Dear Joan and Jerrica, the podcast. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Mm -hmm. Yes. That will, uh, it's uh, insane. It's wild. But it's things like that that it just push things as far as they possibly can go. And I think that's where my nerves are fried. I still, um, CISO jokes are, have come back around. They're making me laugh. Oh, again. good. Yeah. There was like, you know, we started with the CISO jokes. It was funny that it was too much. I can see that cycle. I mean, it's the same with Quibi where it's like, give it a couple of years, making fun of Quibi or talking about it will be funny again. Yeah. And I'm not deterring people from making fun of Quibi. I think it's essential, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not funny yet. You know? No. 
it has it has to fail. We have to drive by the cemetery like four hundred times <laughs> before we could be like, "Hey, Quibby's buried there." Like, nice. Now, yes, I forgot about that because I've driven by it four hundred times. Quick bites, big stories. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, yeah, it's uh, yeah, I don't know what to say. And now I want to go back to your half French. Do you speak French? Yeah. So I was raised my. Um, mom raised my sister and I bilingual. Oh, and, wow. Uh, we're dual citizens as a result. Oh, that's incredible. Do you spend much time in France? I've probably, I think, well, it's odd because we grew up in this town called Joliet, Illinois, which is like a pretty blue collar town. Um, it's the antithesis of French culture. Mm-hmm. I, so it was just an odd, it was an odd upbringing. My dad was born and raised there. And then my mom ended up there as a Montessori teacher I, we would go, I think my grandparents in France would help us go visit. I found all this out later. In right. Life. I was like, I, I only get one pair of shoes a year. How are we going to France every summer? Because <laughs> <laughs> I think my grandparents would like get our plane tickets and then uh, we would stay in their like apartment for. Oh, right, right. Yeah, that you know? makes a trip to France much easier. Yeah, um, it was France has always been far more about family to us, uh, but we were raised speaking French. And I think I kind of like rebelled against it because you just want to be normal when you're a kid. Right. Starting around high school, I, I embraced it. And luckily, I had remained fluent during that kind of like crappy, you know, middle school year years. Right. And how does uh, rebelling against speaking French look? What uh, What are you doing? You're just refusing to speak or read? Well, like, yeah, yeah, it, it's definitely that. The way that you rebel against any parent based on what they like and you just adopt a contrarian attitude, yes. I think I, we definitely both went through phases like that, my sister and I. And then um, in high school, I kind of uh, started to embrace it again because I actually was in French classes in high school. And, uh, and then in college, I didn't really know what to major in. And it turned out taking French classes was pretty easy for me. <laughs> just fell in and was like, oh, actually, this is great. I get to learn things and study things in a way that I never had before. And so I double, ended up double majoring and that was one of them. And it was a, a great way to kind of like uh, get in touch and deepen my, you know, knowledge of like half of my history. Right. Well, that's, oh, I'm so jealous. Just the idea that to have a shortcut through French classes in high school would be wonderful. But I mean, I had, I had a more experience once my teacher in high school was this lovely woman um and we were up at the board and this is this is like a this is a grammar joke basically so who knows who <laughs> but, but i was i was up at the board and you know a few classmates were up there and and the our teacher would give us a, a sentence in english and then we'd have to write it in french right. this is like first, second year french and so i i write down the sentence in French on the chalkboard and I turn around and she says, Oh, Tim, we haven't learned the subjunctive yet. And I'm like, Oh my God, I have exposed myself. (laughs) Like mocking me writing in the present tense. And I've accidentally written the subjunctive, which (laughs) I don't even know. (laughs) You fraud. I just act, I just like wrote something. I was a decent speller, and I'd seen it enough, and I wrote it down, and it wasn't the present tense, and like it was like just devastating for probably a month of my life. I was like, I can't believe I did this. <laughs> my class hates me. <laughs> I've let everyone down. 
down. Um, it, it created an odd, this odd thing where, uh, I, I think I didn't want attention for that. Right. I wanted to be so normal in this, in this town where there was kind of homogenous culture. Um, and yet at the same time, like I came out of it on the other side, kind of with a depreciated value of that and had to kind of catch up on on appreciating it in college. It's a little Peter Parker, Spider-Man sort of thing. Is that, is that DC comics? That's a, that's a Marvel. That is a Marvel comic. And, you know, I feel like Peter Parker, you know, is a high school student with extraordinary abilities and, doesn't want to show off those extraordinary abilities, as far as I know. I may, I don't know that much about it. No, that that tracks. It, I, I was absolutely Spider-Man, except I had some knowledge of the French subjunctive and <laughs> appreciated it, which is more of a superpower than Spider-Man ever will have. And <laughs> uh, yeah, and you uh, were in Colorado recently. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. Um, my fiance Lily's mom lives there, and we kind of got out of town because the claustrophobia and the heat wave and mm-hmm. the air quality had had. We usually go there once or twice a year to visit, so we just took the opportunity to get out of town. Right. And did you drive? We yeah, I drove twelve hours straight. Oh, good grief! Yeah, that's a long drive. <laughs> I think I just have it in me because there's no driving happening, and I that's really true. like. Just charged up your driving battery. I get seven hours into the drive and I'm like, wow, cool. We have five hours left. <laughs> now I feel tired. <laughs> what are you doing on a, do you listen to music? Or are you listening to podcasts? What's the situation there? We listen to some podcasts. Every time we've done it, we've listened to In the Bubble with Andy Slavitt. Oh, I don't uh, know that podcast. It's great. He's a really good, he's been a very good source of information during the pandemic. And it's, it's really straight information like here's what we know here's what we don't know right and it's very about that and all the guests um kind of toe that line too so with all the misinformation with mm-hmm. all the and um and hot takes it's great to listen to something like that that just cuts right through gives you this stuff he'll have people on he'll ask them really tough questions and they're brave enough to be like i don't know oh i love the sound if i don't know for somebody to just admit that they don't have the information, oh, why can't we have more of that? It feels, in, and to say it feels incredible, too, to not be putting up a front, just say, no, it's, I don't know everything. I, Isn't it interesting to have to be so confident all the time oh. and, and like gather up the courage to be like, not only am I going to have to lie and be confident right now, I'm going to have to back it up with like fake. <laughs> I'm going to have to keep making up information. To bolster the fact that, oh, it's insane to me. And everybody does it. Everyone. I mean, in just the last couple of years, I've finally come to the realization of how refreshing it feels to just be like, I don't know. And then maybe learn the information. Maybe the person you say I don't know to will have more information to share with you. Maybe. Oh, I I don't know the answer to that. Does that make you feel good? I love it. I absolutely love it. Everybody needs to be saying, I don't know, once a day, because there are plenty of things we don't know. And that's fine. I mean, the amount of stuff I don't know, it's horrifying. I barely knew how to turn off the water at my house. I The other day, I lost a piece of chicken. I've just been alerted that I left it in the microwave for about four days. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I might also just be describing some sort of mental breakdown.
I, I, I just want people to say I don't know more. And something I don't actually... This is a beautiful segue. Beautiful segue. Here we go. Tim, I don't know why you decided to come on my podcast. I said no gifts. And then yesterday, come by my house and holding what appears to be... Well, it's a little brown bag and it has a card on it that says Bridger. There's some blue tissue coming out of it. <laughs> Tim, is this a gift for me? I disobeyed you. I... Uh. I purchased the gift. I dropped it off at your house after you mistakenly gave me your address. I need to stop doing that. But, you know, it's just the it's people will say, what's your address? And I don't want to say I don't know. And so <laughs> I'm telling them I'm giving it out all over the place. And eventually it's going to the chickens are going to what is it? The chickens are going to come to roost. Is that a phrase or something? I'm on the right track here. Come home to roost. Come home come to, to roost. Roost. It's not the roosters are coming home to roost. It's the chickens are going to come home to roost, I believe. Yeah. Well, maybe the the roosters are in the roost and the chickens are like, okay, I've had my time. (laughs) It's time to settle down at the roost with all this (laughs) information I've picked up on the outside world. (laughs) It's just occurring to me that the roost, are roosters named after the roost or is the roost there because the roosters live there? Uh, I I can confidently say I don't know that either. <laughs> this is now a quiz show. <laughs> a quiz show. Who has the confidence to say I do not know about these quiz questions? <laughs> <laughs> the person that has no points at the end of the game wins because they said I don't know. Tim, the, back to the gift. Do you mm-hmm. want me to open this now or should I wait till later? I think you should open this now. Okay. Let I, me put the microphone in the stand. This is a bonding opportunity for us. I'm, I hope. I'm, I hope so, too. I hope that this doesn't divide us further than we already are. Um, I'm going to open the card here. Let's see here. Ooh, nicely sealed and everything. This is really professionally done. Let's see here. Oh, this is, so there's a, oh, there are two sides to this. There's one side you wrote on, and on the other side, there's some, there's a little uh, a poem or something. These are some thank you cards that I picked up years ago. I really, uh, I wish this weren't true, but I, I, if I see a paper store, I always go in and I have to buy little notebooks. <laughs> I think that's great to have different unique types of paper to write on and that kind of thing. It's, I don't know why it just became this thing where I like, uh, I see little notebooks. And I'm like, Oh, I'll buy that. And then I never use them. And my fiance every two months is like, you need to get rid of these. And then every three months is like, can I borrow another notebook? <laughs> Um, well, I'm going to read the side you wrote first. It says, Bridger, my dear friends already know this, but I simply can't give a gift without a Lao Tzu poem. Is that how you pronounce it, Lao Tzu? Lao Tzu, yeah. Uh, quote attached. And although you said no gifts, please accept this offering from one fair-skinned man to another. Excuse me, I have a deep, rich tan. Uh, I would say, uh, well, actually, I don't even know a word for another word for tan, so we'll move on here. <laughs> uh, we were meant for higher latitudes, after all. Very true, Tim. Okay, and then the um, the quote on the back says, "Kindness in words creates confidence. Kindness in thinking creates profoundness. Kindness in giving creates love." Wonderful. I really, I, th- I must have bought these at a time where I I was going through obviously an even more earnest phase. Yes. Than I- yes. And then every time I look at them to write a card, I'm like, "Oh, I can't do this unless it's an obvious joke. I can't do this." <laughs> This is a uh, this is a lot to give somebody. This is a 
It also feels mildly passive aggressive. <laughs> I should have just, if that had just been the gift, how thrown would you be right now? <laughs> would be, we would have a long, like 30 minutes in front of us. <laughs> I would just go over the color of the text. I would go word by word and I would drag you through it. I would absolutely <laughs> drag you through this. Well, you, wait till you get to the gift. Maybe okay, you'll drag. Let me open this up here. And it says something on the side, but I'm not, maybe Sumi's. Oh, I don't know what that is. I just found, I, you know, you have a bag full of. Right, right. Okay, let's open it near the microphone. I like doing this. Okay, I'm pulling it out. Okay. Oh, this feels like something I could drop and break, so I'm going to be very careful here. Opening, opening. Oh, what is this? Oh. This is sun, uh, sunscreen. It's for babies. It's baby sunscreen. You've given me two bottles of sunscreen. This is actually incredible. Did some research a couple months ago, and my fiance and I switched to baby sunscreen because it's proven as less chemicals and oh, it's more really? effective. Yes. Why? Uh, what are the chemicals doing for adults? Why? What's the point of putting them in for adults? I think it's. Uh, well, I think you know any any industry that's not regulated enough or, you know, barely regulated can get away with all sorts of things. But I think that um, sunscreen for babies is obviously we must protect our children. Right. I'm sure a fellow QAnon believer just like me. <laughs> uh, but I think that there is more liability for children's sunscreen. And so. Oh, um, that, what a horrible world we live in. No. <laughs> but anyway, I was thinking, I was like, oh, you know, I have, I had a handful of gift ideas. And I'm like, well, Britcher and I are both fair-skinned people living in California. I should I should share this wisdom with him. I don't want to see him sunburn someday online. <laughs> that would be the worst. We're we're on the strawberry blonde to redhead spectrum, you know. Yes. Is it uh have you struggled with sunburns in the past? Yeah, I I definitely did and I I certainly struggled from the bad information that was out there. Like I I would have people if I was sunburned as a kid, you know, they'd be like, you just got to get one good one out of the way early in the summer. Right. <laughs> and I probably had one summer in my life where I was, you know, tan. <laughs> That's and one more than me. God knows how much permanent damage I did to myself that summer. <laughs> <laughs> of course. It's a, a, I, until you're an adult, I mean, really as a kid, I, I think growing up in the 90s, there was a, an enormous amount of pressure to be tan. I don't know oh, if you yeah. felt that at all, but like in Utah, if you weren't tan, you were, it was humiliating. But like for <laughs> me, like it's just literally not a physical reality for, I am the whitest person roaming the earth. Oh, I, I, I'm just trying to limit redness. Right. I would just roast like a beet <laughs> and then have to spend like three or four days just almost purple. Yes. And and in terrible pain until like the, my skin would peel, yes. and and I would see other people going through this like willingly like this is this is the point you just got to get that one layer off your body you just literally have to burn part of your body off before you can get to the next layer of whatever damage is going to be done yeah I I mean I would say probably until I was twenty I was not protecting myself from the sun. You know, I was not oh. putting on sunscreen. I mean, unless my mom, like when I was a kid and she would take me to swim lessons or whatever and was forcing sunscreen on me, the rest of the time, I was just running around getting just absolutely radiated at all times. And you'd think like, oh, you know, everyone kind of had farmer tans because they have shirts on at some point. Right. Or, uh, 
but it almost never covered my face. No, until- of course not. So you went from Utah. Did where did you live in between Utah and Los Angeles? Um, so I uh, went to college in Utah, and then I uh, interned for David Letterman. And so I lived in New York for like five months, and then moved back to Utah, and then almost just stayed there and gave up on my dreams. But then made the what was probably a bad idea the decision to move to Los Angeles with no connections whatsoever, <laughs> and then spend like a solid. <laughs> I probably spent five years just in absolute hell before things started to move along for me. So, but yeah, it's been, and then I lived in New York for a year. I've been in LA for like 10 years now. So there was an, a one year in between when I worked on Kimmy Schmidt that I was uh, living in New York. Oh, nice. I spent one year in New York too. Oh, yeah, I, spent, I thought you spent more time in New York. Oh, just one year. Um, yeah. W- one hellish year of my life. Uh, <laughs> God bless New York. Of and course. New York- it was oh, it was so difficult, uh, but it was also in between my time in LA. Uh, but I okay. lived in Chicago for ten years, and I think people in general, because summer is shorter, we just didn't think of sunscreen. Like right? I, yeah, I, you have I, like I, two months where you're getting sunburned, and the rest of the time you're not worried about it. You're bundled yeah. up. And I had a day job, and then you know I was I was hitting those dirty improv streets at night. Yeah. So <laughs> Sure. <laughs> right. And I guess the other thing is, I, I mean, I'm just naturally more indoors because most of my interests lie indoors, you know, watching television, sitting around, reading books, sitting around, playing video games. There aren't a lot of things that to draw me outside. Oh, also, I should mention just sitting on the computer. That's another one of the activities I pursue. So there wasn't a lot of it. Then you'd go to summer camp or you'd like the Boy Scouts would take you out on the boat and then you're suddenly truly like a deep purple paralyzed on your bed for like a day. I I would get sun sickness. It was horrible. Oh, when I moved out here, I was, that's what really put me on high alert. Um, Cause I would just casual walking around. Like I'd walk to get a coffee in the sun, just, you know, I don't mean to sound so cool and confident about this, but in LA, the sun, it hits different. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my god but it it really did i would like in two days of just like walking three blocks to get a coffee and back to my new apartment i i was looking at myself i'm like oh my god this is i i, I look flushed all the time uh-huh um so again god knows how much permanent damage i did before that realization yeah i mean this morning running around the yard without a shirt on in a panic trying to fix the water situation it's like oh i haven't felt the sun on my my body like this in a long time this is i'm going to get sunburned so this is a very <laughs> i mean I, sh- I should have lathered up in sunscreen before uh trying to solve the flooding situation this morning but you know uh desperation and uh that sort of thing but uh yeah, sun sunburns are absolutely the worst thing, and I also get cold sores if I get sunburned. So it, there's no good situation for me. Oh my, yeah, that's so you have to be on high alert, absolute high alert at all times. But you know, I mean, who knows what I would look like right now if during my childhood I had used some sort of sunscreen? I would probably look like I'm nine years old right now, just a perfect person. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, and we've also just learned that, uh, you and I lived in the same neighborhood for how long have you been in that apartment? Um, four years. Wow. I think four years. So we were, I mean, we were half a block away from each yes, other. For for, uh, we were there for three years and we somehow never crossed paths. 
and I'm always out walking about, fooling around in the neighborhood. And uh, I wonder, isn't that strange? Isn't that odd? Sure, maybe we did see each other. You know, I passed by Vinoteca and you're getting another splash at the bar. <laughs> I wish. Just splash. No, no, I don't want to just a splash. <laughs> Please. I want it to just be a splash on the sides of the, the cup. I thought about this uh, after after we made that connection that, that we lived half a block away. Are you watching The Vow on HBO? Of course. Okay, so. <gasps> yes, I know what you're about to say, but please share. So they, when they're filming, when Mark and Bonnie are filming a lot of their scenes in 2016, 2017, they are on the roof of a building that they live in that is on Vermont, right off of Finley. In that crazy looking building. Yeah. And overlooking that temple and you see it all the time. And I, the first, I mean, in the first episode, I'm like, this is weird. These people look familiar. <laughs> Probably because they were running around with camera crews <laughs> about Nexium, going to all the, you know, breakfast places, getting coffees. And I'm like, you know, what is this? This guy's got a weird energy. <laughs> and, and again, you know, a stop clock is right twice a day, but if, Two dozen times during the day, I'm like, this guy feels like he's been in a cult before. I was probably right twice a day about marketing. <laughs> I mean, in Los Angeles, every sixth person gives that energy. So, But you probably have interacted with Mark and Bonnie. You're probably in the background of The Vow. <laughs> For all we know, you're a character on this documentary. <laughs> but they live in that striking building. I mean, it looks like it's out of the Royal Tenenbaums or something. It's like... Uh, but then you see the inside, and it's like, oh, this is a, you know, not quite as charming as I, as the outside would tell you. But uh, it's strange that they were just blocks away. Do you think you had seen them in the neighborhood? I uh, let's just say I had. I mean, uh, you know, I've had various interactions with people. The the one big uh, documentary. This is a different documentary uh, shock that I had was. In college, I uh, was in a math class uh, taught by this woman, Teresa Colley, who I thought was a little odd, uh, but not odd enough to set off any alarms. But I thought, there's something going on here. The way she dresses, the way she speaks, the way she speaks about uh, her living situation, something's going on. Excellent math professor, by the way. I'm very bad at math, and she managed to help. But there was kind of a robotic, um, old-fashioned way of her speaking. And then flash forward several years later, I'm sitting on my futon in my studio apartment in Los Angeles watching uh, a show called Polygamy USA on National Geographic, which was wonderful. And it's probably 1 a.m. in the morning, and I gasped because there on the screen is Teresa Colley. She's part of this giant polygamist cult. <laughs> She's like a, kind of a crusader for them. She's out there, you know, speaking about uh, whatever. They're, they were an off split. Do you remember Warren Jeffs? Yeah, of course. This, yeah. Her her polygamous colony or what have you was the, like the the they split off from his and they were kind of the the sect that I guess followed that wasn't doing illegal or doing less illegal behavior. But she's you know, she's part of this thing. I I mean, it was shocking. There's Teresa. Here I am in Los Angeles, still not that good at math, and uh, that it, it was a huge revelation. So, and now you know I'm in a neighbor, or formerly a neighborhood, with uh, Mark and Bonnie. Who, who knows what happened with those two? I mean, their whole situation's so odd. I mean, they're making the documentary while leaving the cult, and they do not seem happy. Bonnie seems distraught. Oh yeah, 
time. Mark seems like he's he's on this he's on a slightly different autopilot that he's been on the entire time. <laughs> I my suspicion with them, and I don't mean to spread rumors, but I, I guess I must, is that I don't think that they're together. I think they're pretending to be together. Bonnie seems deeply unhappy, and Mark seems. I stunned. would absolutely believe that. I mean, I think at this point they're probably just hanging on to each other in order to make it out of this cult and uh, find fame. I mean... We'll stay together for far less. Far, far less. People will stay together to share a car. So, you know, uh, to get out of a cult and find your own premium docuseries on HBO, I would stay in a marriage for 75 years. (laughs) Uh, We haven't watched the latest episode. I'm just going to be honest. The Vow, we've stretched it a little thin. I completely agree. I think that each episode uh, gets slower and slower, and I think they could have condensed all this into half the amount of episodes so far. Absolutely. I mean, first of all, we're starting with a cult leader who is deeply boring to begin with. I mean, the most average slub that's ever existed. So it's not like we're getting a lot of compelling footage of him outside of him kissing everyone on the lips and like in the volleyball league or whatever. But then what else is going on? It's like, yeah, it's like a multi-level marketing scheme. Every time to like footage from a workshop or some kind of like conference or something, it's just a word salad of like, so you, are you feel like you're a victim right now? It sounds like you're blaming again, but really the problem is you. <laughs> Cut to shocked faces of suburban people that are like, I'm the problem. <laughs> A bunch of scarves we bought at the party store. And uh, where is Mark? Is that his name? Wait, no. Uh, what is the co-leader's name? Randy. Keith. Keith. Keith Randy. Keith. Not Randy. Keith Rainier? Vanguard. Vanguard. Is he in prison? I That I don't know. That's another reason why I'm, I wish they had just dropped all these episodes. Like, just, I don't want to have to go on and be like, is Vanguard in prison? <laughs> Of course not. I need that information as quickly as we can get it. I think Vanguard and Proctor deserve to be in prison. Wait, remind me who Proctor is. Nancy. Nancy, that's right. And then there's also the, uh, the uh, what's her name? Kelly Mack or Susan Mack. Oh, or... Allie Mack. Allie Mack. <laughs> Allie Mack, who, I mean, the people falling all over themselves to get in touch with this person who is like a, a recurring star on a CW show is so wild to watch. She was nobody. What are we talking about? That's that's Bridger in 2020 saying that. Bridger in 2006 <laughs> would, have, would have kissed Alice and Max's feet for a chance. I would have. I would have kissed Vanguard's lips. I mean, I think we all would have. Is oh, abs- uh, absolutely. Eyes wide open. Kissing. <laughs> Hello, Vanguard. <laughs> if a stranger kisses you on the lips. Do not buy whatever they're selling. I mean, whatever's happening there is immediately that the red flag is just waving in your face. I don't understand what's going on with people. Yeah. The attraction to this guy who really isn't saying much of anything and is clearly like a um, like one of those like adult recovering dorks. <laughs> social situation. I don't even think recovering. Well, that's true. Active. He's found himself outside of the kind of social um, hierarchies that had clearly like not given him any of the attention or acclaim that his ego thought he warranted. And then he he's like at 35 or 40, he's surrounded by all these people. And he's acting like a junior high kid passing notes to like four different women at the same time. <laughs> I know. 
crazy. Yeah, like the the multi level marketing scheme was his love life. <laughs> yeah, it truly really was. I mean, his like uh, sex master life, uh, the whole collateral thing. It's so crazy. My favorite part of like people making fun of the vow is going online on Twitter. Actually, this is some. This has very much made me laugh. Anytime people are like this, like this shithead thinks he's good at volleyball, I kick his ass at volleyball. <laughs> I am here for people saying that they would kick Keith Rainier's ass at volleyball. <laughs> I the one thing that people are like, I'm going to go online and talk about how this guy looks like he sucks at volleyball. <laughs> Okay, he's a sex cult leader, but yeah, he sucks at volleyball. <laughs> the crazy thing about the volleyball and Twitter is that for literally years on Twitter, about once a week, I was tweeting about having a volleyball team and like there being a conspiracy to the highest levels of the volleyball team. I'm telling people, there's, I can see through the veil. I can see I have some connection to the future because... I like when this documentary started airing, I had a couple of friends text me about it. And I was like, oh, I should look at those old tweets. I basically wrote the vow. <laughs> it's so weird to look at. There's all of the, you know, I don't know. But uh, it also goes to show that, you know, uh, adult volleyball is just kind of a, an interesting thing going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a Utah question for you. Oh, you yeah. Mind. I love a Utah question. Have you ever been to? To Colorado City, I forget if that's oh, in Utah. Oh, I have Zona. not, but that's where uh, the uh, Warren Jeffs thing was going on, right? Yes. Have, have you been have, there? Yeah. So one of the routes that we take to visit Lily's mom in Colorado goes through Colorado City. Oh, and it's just one of the most it's one of the most bizarre, spooky places. Of course, can... the whole thing is the entire cult yearning for yeah. Zion. I think is their name. Yeah, and they they so they have this tax loophole in whether it's Utah or Arizona, where if you're still currently building a house, you can write it off for tax credits. Uh -huh. So, like like seven out of eight houses in this town are just boarded up, in quotes, oh. under construction. Oh, it's this odd ghost town where clearly no work is being done on right. this. But still using it as a tax write-off. And then they have these huge mansions with like 10 cars and oh. all these wives. And if you drive through as a man, they'll follow you. Have you been followed? Um, I haven't because Lily and I always go together. So they oh, don't care. Okay, sure. I'm coupled off. I'm not. A, I'm right. not a You're not a threat. To be honest, like, look at me. I'd probably in, be inoffensive to them. If I were <laughs> oh, you are. You would dominate a polygamous community. You would. No man. Yeah. They, the men in a polygamous community are some of the ugliest human beings on the planet. Uh, <laughs> I think I can say that safely. That there. I mean, I don't know that there's ever been a good-looking polygamous man. At least within the like these uh, fundamentalist Mormon communities, they are deeply ugly people. <laughs> but Lily's. Uh, her stepdad and his dad, they've driven through and they've been followed. That is terrifying. Yeah. I've always uh, wanted to visit. I uh, uh, I played this video game Resident Evil in about 2004 where you go into a little like village that is secretly evil people. And I always picture Colorado City as essentially that with a bell tower. And you get there and suddenly someone has a chainsaw and uh, you're running for your life. But I feel like it's more you're being chased by somebody in a like 1998 Suburban. 
Yeah. Hoping that like whatever, you know, woman in their life that they've kind of brainwashed, uh, doesn't make a run for it and jump in your back. Right. <laughs> yeah. So Pol- Polygamy USA was, uh, the 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 splinter group from Colorado City, and I think they live nearby there. And wow, so was that something that was kind of prominent when you were growing up in Utah? That people are are talking about it, or is it just kind of like fall into background noise of daily life? Um, you know, it was like uh, maybe somewhere in between. You would see polygamists pretty often. I mean, they're easy to spot because they look like they just stumbled off of a wagon, and uh, like if you're at Walmart or something, you would see like. You know, a woman who looks like she lives on the prairie with like 14 children who, you know, are do not look like their who look like their parents are related, blood blood related. Um, And so you would see that pretty often. And it was always like a a, uh, I don't want to say a fun sight, but it was always an odd thing to see. And, you know, it was probably a couple times a month I would see polygamists. I mean, we had at least one polygamist that went to our high school. Her name was Esther. Um, But, yeah, I think the further south you get in Utah, uh, the more polygamists you see. Because that's where it becomes kind of really deserty and uh, remote. Yeah, that's true. The remoteness is kind of key to um, keeping people separated from any other way of life right right (laughs) gorgeous country beautiful the absolutely most beautiful and uh, so that's the one thing they're doing right these polygamists is they've gotten out into the red rock uh but they're you know they're wearing their old-fashioned gear and i can't imagine they're comfortable or happy at any point no and they resist change they could be in more comfortable clothes of course throw some shorts on these women have a pair of jeans under their dress I mean, oh. it's wild. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah. They're, I mean, covered from head to toe. It's uh, it's a wild, wild thing. I mean, uh, you know, there's the show. What is that Bravo show or whatever? Sister Wives. That's a more mm. moderate take on polygamy that like they kind of live normal lives. The m- more of the polygamists that well, and I, I guess I would have never noticed the Sister Wives type people because they kind of look like normal people. The ones you would notice are these ones that, you know, are like in a prairie dress and they're they've got a giant wave for hair and like a braid going down their back. Now, are you, are you a Utah, you know, um, a Utahan, Utahan? <laughs> like as far as, uh, being from Utah? Yeah. How do you, how do you oh, conjugate? I think, like, I guess you would say a Utahan. A Utahan? There's okay. no easy way to say that. We've got to get like a, um, a, a harder consonant on the end so we can transition to an Ian or a, like a Utahian or, or Utahian or Utahian. Well, well, that, that might be something Utahns look into, but right now you just add an N to the H and it's very confusing. I don't know that I've ever seen that spelled out, but it's not a good it's, looking word. It's not fluid it, on paper or, or to the ear. Uh, what do you um, call somebody from Illinois? Illinoisan? Oh, so that's another struggle. Yeah, it's yeah, it's not Illini. No, yeah, I think it's Illinoisan. Illinoisan. <laughs> that sounds like uh, I don't know. That's an odd word. People usually within Illinois, you would never use that designation for yourself, and I guess that's true for other states too. But you definitely conjugate like the uh, the town that you're from. Oh, right. So, Chicagoan, but that flows. That's really yeah, nice. Chicagoan, and that's uh, you're a Jolietian. 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 Jol- I, 
people disrespect Joliet so much. I'm not used to it. <laughs> I'm still, I, when I got to Chicago, I went to college in Chicago and someone for the first time, I was, you know, 18 or 19. And someone's like, Oh yeah. The joylet. I'm like, what? Joylet. It's like <laughs> a happy toilet. Mm, I think they mean the opposite. <laughs> oh, oh but it was a, a joke on, I thought this was just somebody mispronouncing Joliet, but they're calling it a toilet. Purposefully putting it down. I'm so sorry. You're from a toilet. <laughs> 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 Had I known, I would have not asked you on the podcast, but, you know. It was it was an odd thing to hear. I genuinely love my hometown. I, I really do. I understand why people criticize it, but I genuinely love it. So I was, it was a, it was like stepping into an alternate reality, like an episode of Sliders <laughs> where the only different is that people you know, like disrespect your hometown. <laughs> the biggest change of all. I feel like it's time to play a game. Yes, please. Do you want to play a gift or a curse, or do you want to play Gift Master? Ooh. I'll tell you about what it is once we start playing. You have to just okay. pick on name alone. Gift Master. Okay. Give me a number between one and ten. Mm, six. Okay. I have to do some calculating. Right now, you have the microphone. I want you to promote something. I want you to recommend something. I want you to say whatever you feel like saying, and I'll be right back. Great. Okay. Right now, Righteous Gemstones Season 1 is streaming on HBO or HBO Max. I don't understand the tiers of uh, their new pricing system. But I think there's more content than ever on all of their apps, which you can access through your iPhone, your iPad, your Apple TV, or your computer. Um, and that season is, is streaming for free once you pay for the subscription. Uh, so I'd, I'd suggest checking that out. There's an old show called Shrink, which streams on the NBC app. Um, that is fun. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Oh, um, recently I watched some episodes of Bob's Burgers. Not affiliated with that, but love that show. Uh, I, I really enjoyed watching that show. Um, boy, I should have had a list to prepare for, for all these promotional suggestions. I guess... Oh, well, I'm I'm a huge Tom Petty fan. I'd suggest listening to Tom Petty albums. You know, everyone's going to go to Wildflowers because it's the most celebrated. Uh, and then, you know, they'll probably go to Damn the Torpedoes or Full Moon Fever. I'd suggest getting over the hump of some of those greater albums and going to Long After Dark, which was released in 1982. Bridger can attest I'm wearing a T-shirt celebrating that album right now. Um that and you're going to get it from 1978 are probably the least celebrated albums in his uh, kind of career, but they are really cohesive albums um, and front to back are just a great listen. Bridger has this look on his face right now. I can't tell if he's doing research or if he's just in shock that this is where I would go with my Tim. promo. I'm sorry, uh, yeah. that, took, that actually took longer than, even longer than normal, but I felt like you did some good self-promotion, you did some promotion for other things, on all good things, you know, uh, I, Righteous Gemstones, it's just absolutely wonderful, and you're truly a highlight in it, so pe if people haven't watched Righteous Gemstones, watch it. Oh, thank you, especially, you know, given the religious uh, undertones or oh, overtones yeah. of our talk so far, it's definitely apropos. And I assume a second season will eventually be produced. We were two days into filming it when the plug got pulled because of COVID. What an absolute disaster. Are, were you shooting it in North Carolina? South Carolina. South Carolina. Okay. Two days. Unbelievable. 
two days. We had filmed one. We had I had filmed one scene with uh, my character with Judy, who's played by Edie Patterson. She's um, so funny, so funny. A force of nature on that show. She writes on it too. Uh, I I just yeah. I I can't speak highly enough of that show and the cast and the experience. It's 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 just really great. They also kind of sit outside of the. Um, you know, that whole crew of Danny McBride, Jody Hill, David Gordon Green, they right. sit outside the the industry. Yeah, so I mean, I, they do all of their work uh, in South Carolina, right? I mean, the writing and everything. All of their work. And I, I think as a result, they both get um, uh, affirmed and kind of uh, denied for being outside of the kind of industry right. bubble. And so it was... As a fan of their work, it was cool to see the season do really well and people in town talk about it a lot. Oh, it's um, spectacular. Yeah, it was fun. Okay, well, you've got two days of shooting, so who knows when you'll finish it, but eventually that show will be done and people will be able to watch another season. Yeah, you know, probably, I don't know, late 2021, early 2020. <laughs> okay, well, everybody, you got the, the recommendations. It's time to play this game. Tim, I'm going to give you... Three gifts, three potential items to give as gifts, and three celebrities who you have to give them to. And then you'll tell me who and why. That makes sense, right? Did I explain that clearly? Maybe not. I'm generous. I'm steeped in celebrity culture. I'm ready to go. <laughs> okay. The, the three gifts you'll be giving are Invisalign, um, a haunted typewriter, and a subscription to Tidal. Title we of course know is the music streaming service uh, owned by I believe Jay Z. Title T I D A L. Okay, you have to do some clarifying there because I don't know that anyone. I don't even know that it it may or may not exist at this point, but that's fine. You'll be giving a subscription to Title, and you're going to be giving it to these three people. The three people are. Oh, I've got to get a better system here. This is just very difficult for me to look at. I could plug another Tom Petty album. <laughs> oh, we didn't even talk about Tom Petty, but I'm not, I can't get back off track here. Oh, keep going. Uh, oh, Daniel Steele. Okay. So that's a, you know, noted author, Daniel Steele. Oksana Bayul. Now, you may remember her, figure skater from years past. And finally, we have, we've got none other than. Where did it go? I'm so sorry to everyone listening. But, you know, this is just extended time. You get to listen to the podcast. And who could ask for more? Um, I truly have lost it. I'm just going to have to pick one at random here. Uh, one of the Hemsworths. That's what I wrote down. So you just get to pick a Hemsworth. And uh, so we've got Oksana Bayul, one of the Hemsworths, and Danielle Steele. And the, for the Hemsworths, there's Liam and Chris. As far as I know, there are at least two. At least two. There's and probably Chris, a third that feels bad that we always forget about him, but what are you going to do? Well, the, he's got he's to step he's gotta, it up. Yeah, he does. Liam's the one that was with Miley Cyrus. Oh, that sounds right. Chris Hemsworth, I believe, is the superhero. Yeah, he's Thor. Okay, okay. Okay. Well... All right, let me start with Danielle Steele. I think the obvious choice would be to give her a haunted typewriter. See what happens. But <laughs> I would rather give Danielle Steele Invisalign and have her write about Invisalign. <laughs> Invisalign to Danielle Steele. Kind of, you know, little fish story out of her 
Oh, I think Danielle Steele has 11, 11 novels about Invisalign in her. Can you imagine like the, the tortured, like, you know, suburban moms and husbands <laughs> having torrid affairs, having to like gingerly take out their Invisalign <laughs> before they make, you know, like secret love. I want to see one of those book covers where everyone looks absolutely perfect, except for they're clearly wearing Invisalign. Or they're halfway through taking it out, but they're... <laughs> bodies are just so hot <laughs> there's just the drool going down the man's chest it's uh i think that's a whole a whole genre waiting to happen yes um i f- he fumbled his invisalign trays and they fell in front of her she said <laughs> uh don't be ashamed i'm wearing some right now they locked eyes <laughs> <laughs> i'm so just that, on the I- way home from the invisalign retailer <laughs> So I'll give I'll give Danielle Steele um, I'll, I'll give her Invisalign. Beautiful. I think I'll give Liam Hemsworth title <laughs> because he clearly he needs music in his life because he doesn't have Miley anymore. Right? Well, and he's kind of the title of the Hemsworth family. I mean, <laughs> Liam, if you're listening, I'm sorry, but I mean, well, actually, the guy. I mean, if there's a third brother, and I know you're out there, you're really the title. But uh, for the purposes of this podcast, we'll just call Liam the title. Assuming that there's only two, uh, a a very costly corporate mistake goes to Liam Hemsworth. <laughs> That's been forced onto all of us, despite the fact that we've said we don't want it. We already have enough streaming service. <laughs> so that's very fitting, I think. Um, and then the haunted typewriter goes to Oksana Biol so that she can just go off and, and riff because she's had an extraordinary life. And oh, I yeah. I mean, barely about it since the Olympics. Yeah. She, I mean, what's been going on with Oksana? She's, I, gotta, I mean, she's got at least one book that she, this haunted typewriter can help her get written. Mm-hmm. And then who knows what happens from there? Maybe she starts writing threatening letters to old competitors, or maybe it possesses her and she becomes a typewriter. I mean, <laughs> there's so much that can happen with this woman in her life. I mean, she was one of our biggest stars, I'll say it. One she of was. the biggest stars on earth. It seems like I'm sniffing out a fellow uh, ice skating connoisseur. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, between the years of 1992 and about, well, let's just take it up to the Salt Lake uh, Olympics in 2002. I was, you know, I had some investment and emotional investment in these people. You know, we had the, uh, now I can't name anybody, of course, Nancy Kerrigan. (laughs) Tanya Harding. Tanya Harding. uh, Michelle. Kwan. Kwan, yes. I... uh, there were stars galore, and she oddly one of those uh, a very interesting sport where the female side was just so much more compelling. Oh, and well, I, far more. I couldn't. I couldn't tell you a single male. Um, Elvis, oh, uh, Brian Boitano, not registering for me. Scott Hamilton. Scott Hamilton. Okay, but he's kind of you know gone beyond what it is to just be an ice skater he's you know commenting and com- i think he's a he's in the hall of fame for his commentating and not his skating as well. R- <laughs> he finally found something he could do uh, <laughs> this is he's like sixth in the world at skating and, and we're shading him <laughs> 
Um, well, I think you you played that very, very well. And so we're just going to smoothly transition into the final segment of this podcast where we're going to help some people. They're writing into I said no gifts at gmail.com. There's nothing they need more in the world than advice from two strangers on a podcast. So I'll read this first question. It says, Dear Bridger and guest, my sister is turning 12 soon. She loves volunteering with shelter pets, reading, playing video games, and supporting the environment. I need a gift idea and any other ideas you have to help a 12-year-old celebrate in self-isolation. As a 19-year-old who only has a vague idea of what tweens are into these days, I'm curious as to what you guys think tweens are into these days. Thank you. That's from Sarah in North Carolina. So, I mean, we're already on a... We've already talked about one of the Carolinas here, so I think we're on the, a good frequency for Sarah. After that, I I do not know what a 12-year-old... I Recently, somebody reached out to me on Instagram and told me that uh, the uh, Zoomers or Generation Z or whatever are drinking monster energy drinks. Have you heard this? No. Oh. Uh, and I guess instead, that's... I mean, I didn't do much further research, but apparently that's the drink of choice. Drinking, which to me is very much like a, like a boomer drink or something where like you're driving a truck or, uh, posting memes to Facebook and you're, you've got this horrible energy drink. So it's interesting that these young people are getting into these chemical laden nightmare sodas. That's odd. That's like me getting into Bob Seeger in high school. Right. Exactly. That is such a perfect comparison. Or like, or like going to disc replay and getting uh, like foreigner CDs while the <laughs> clerks look at like me, 16 year old me in thrift store clothes. And it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you could be listening to Blink-182 right now. <laughs> Come on. Boy, oh, this, this, I got it. This hits me in a couple blind spots, a gift idea for a 12 year old. And advice for a 19-year-old, definitely blind spots for me. Right. Well, the 19-year-old just wants advice for the 12-year-old who likes – let's just zero in here. I think the, the 12-year-old likes reading and uh, shelter pets. So is there a book about a pet? Let's talk about Bonicula. Now, is that it for 12-year-olds? That was exactly what I was going to say. Wait, is that I'm true? Dead serious. I was, I was like <laughs> – Oh my God! Yes, Benicula would be great. First of all, write a write a letter to your sister who's twelve and tell her what extraordinary you know habits and hobbies that she already has. Oh like yeah, this genuinely great human being who will be a positive for society. So at least write what at least write that in a card and show her how it would, uh, just uh, be an example of earnestness. She probably doesn't Me? have one of those sincerity. Yeah. Exactly. I um, yeah. Tell her that she seems like a very kind, thoughtful person, and then give her two or three Benicula books. <laughs> Benicula is an excellent. I mean, we're it, Stephen is now holding up. Stephen is what is I, happening? I was like, are you kidding? So I ha- I'm sorry, I had to interrupt, but I'm literally reading Benicula for for my podcast. Stephen, so there uh, there has never been a clearer sign for the universe that this 12 year old girl needs to read Benicula. Stephen, was that a new book or a reissue with a new cover of an old one? Uh, I bought this. It's a reissue. I bought it off eBay recently. Which Benicula is this? This is a rabbit tale of mystery. This is the original, oh. not um, Celery Stalks at Midnight or Meets Edgar Allan Crow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What could be more appropriate for October than Benicula's sudden resurgence on a podcast? Three adult men are recommending Benicula. 
what volcanoes of weed were fueling that author's writing of all these binoculars? <laughs> Edgar Allan Crow. <laughs> <laughs> I hope the crow is just an author in that book, just a writer. It has nothing. It's not a scary crow. It's just a an alcoholic crow that Panicula interacts with and uh, that sort of thing. Oh, my God. I mean, this 12-year-old... Get her the whole collection. You know, get a book order and order the Banicula series. Yes. I would also, I'd recommend I throw a cricket in Times Square. I love there. a cricket in Times Square. I've, I loved that as a, uh, I was probably around 12. Yeah, same. That's a, it. And I feel like there was there were sequels. Yeah, there were at least two, maybe three of those, but I definitely remember reading the first two. Right. Wow. And the cricket goes to Times Square to become a musician and then like befriends a mouse. Is that what happens? I think so. It has some kind of animal friend that kind of protects it, but also believes in its uh, talent, which is, you know, unreal. Yeah. <laughs> Otherworldly cricket talent um, and can play any class, any piece of classical music on its little legs. Right, right. It's a very special cricket. Look at us, men of a certain age, talking about anthropomorphized musical an animals. <laughs> get both. Get Benicula, Get a cricket in Times Square. Light up this twelve-year-old's life. I mean, I if we nailed that. You know, I feel like that's all. We did such an excellent job with this. I'm not even going to answer another question this time. How can we top how perfect that recommendation became? Save it for another one. We we don't want to disappoint ourselves and go off into the rest of our Tuesday on a, a lower note than this. Right. I mean, if we are writing a, a psychotic high right now, I mean, <laughs> I could lift a car. So it's uh, thank you, Banicula. But also thank you, Tim Baltz, for, you know, coming and for, I mean, my skin is going to be whiter than it has ever been, and that's what it needs to be. I've got to just continue my descent into just becoming see-through. Um, but, you know, these hot Los Angeles days require a decent amount, just a lather, and uh, I think everybody should just go get some sunscreen. Whether you're tan or not, you know, cut down on premature aging. Well, thank you for having me, Bridger. I got you two. I got myself one. So we can touch base in <laughs> two after we've run through these uh, baby sunscreens and let each other know how our skin's reacting. Beautiful. I'm glad it only took three to four years of living in the same neighborhood with uh, members of a cult for us to actually have a conversation. Uh, and hopefully I'll be able to see you in person in the future. And we'll, yeah, we'll both be shining uh, pale men with a shared interest in Benicula. But uh, everybody, that's the end of the podcast. And of course, your life has been enriched. And uh, I hope, uh, go check your uh, pipes. Make sure there's, if you hear any water running, don't ignore your partner's calls to action. And have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. I Said No Gifts is an Exactly Right production. It's engineered by Earth Angel Stephen Ray Morris. The theme song is by Miracle Worker Amy Mann. Uh, you can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at I Said No Gifts. And if you have a question or need help getting a gift for someone in your life, email me at I Said No Gifts at gmail.com. Listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you found me. And why not leave a review while you're at it? And I invited you here Thought I made myself perfectly clear When you're a guest in my home 